Trinity Baptist Church. Morning. Once I was living fear. I worry constantly about how people perceive me. Coming from a hierarchical culture which prides itself on uniformity, I become accustomed to doing what I was told. I had no confidence and would often do things just so that I could be seen as close to perfect as a person can be in other people's eyes. When I was 15, I left my family to come to the United States to stay with relatives. I was alone, and emptiness often filled me. My family had no idea what my life was like in the U.S. With no one there to tell me what to do anymore, I worried even more. I was often in panic mode and felt that I was never good enough. Then Jesus found me. He told me that no one is as perfect as he is, but as long as I trust in him, everything will be fine. He told me that he loves me just the way I am, and I don't have to do things to please others. Rather, I should be sure my actions are pleasing to God. I found out that if anyone I should be listening to, Jesus should be the one. Today, I know for sure that I don't have to worry because Jesus will guide me through all circumstances. All I need to do is ask. My name is Joanna Pankar, and I am new. The reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. 他们吃完了早餐。耶稣对西门彼得说：“约翰的儿子西门，你爱我比这些更深吗？”彼得说：“主啊，是的。”你知道我爱你。耶稣对他说：“你喂养我的小羊。”耶稣第二次又对他说：
for uh, 13 years here now. And, and uh, well, again, I'm, I'm not looking for the applause, but, uh, but what I wanted to say was uh, over those 13 years, I've had this recurring nightmare that, that at some point at 3 o'clock in the morning, Keith would call me and say, James, you know, I'm not feeling well, and tomorrow you're on. Well, last night I had that call, <laughs> and uh, I am not Fred Atkins, although I, I might appear to look like him in some ways, but uh, Fred called me and said, James, you know, I have sciatica, and I can't get out of bed. There's no way I can preach tomorrow, and so you're on. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear what Fred has to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do welcome the Holy Spirit. I hope he does come here. <laughs> no, um, no, I had a chance to look through Fred's notes, and um, I am excited to see what God will do through this. So, so here we go. Uh, have you ever been in a situation where, where you have let someone down? where you betrayed someone, someone's trust in some way. Uh, afterward, you, you may have felt horrible about it. You may have been reliving the whole scenario in your mind. You know, what, what happened? What, what led to this? How, how did I allow myself to, to, to let this person down, this person that I really love? Now, you'd give anything... To go back in time and, and take that moment back or to, to adjust things so that you, you would do things or say things a little bit differently. But you can't. You can't go back in time. And, and, and worse yet, the person that you betrayed is aware of what you did, what you said. They, they know. And they're gutted by it too. Now, the, the passage that Joanna was reading is, is a story very similar to this. It was a story uh, having to do with Peter and, and the relationship that he had with Jesus and, and a betrayal that took place. Okay? And, you know, we find uh, at this point that we are in the very end of this this. 11, I guess it's 10-week series. We're, we're, this is the 10th week in an 11-week series entitled Relate, where we're, we're focusing on the relationships that, that people in the Bible have. Uh, and what we're trying to do is glean, sometimes from the mistakes that they've made in relationships, and sometimes from the successes, so that we can apply those things in our lives today. And here we are, uh, in this situation where Peter has betrayed Jesus. Now, throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was trying to prepare his disciples uh, for what was coming. Okay? He knew that the kingdom that he was building and advancing looked very different from what the disciples assumed was coming. Okay? And on this occasion... Jesus was explaining in detail what would happen to him at the end of his ministry. 
that he would be handed over, that he would be beaten, that, that he would be abandoned and ultimately crucified. And when Peter heard Jesus say this, he said, absolutely not, this is not going to happen. Okay, and you may remember that Jesus had to rebuke Peter uh, for standing in the way of, of something that God wanted to accomplish through Jesus. Okay? And, and then, um, then God singles out Peter. I should say Jesus singles out Peter even more so when he says, Peter, I tell you the truth. Uh, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Okay, so Peter's confident that, that Jesus is not going to have to go through all that Jesus is explaining that he's going to go through. And he's also confident that this, the disciples are not going to flee uh, as Jesus predicted that they would. And yet Jesus tells Peter flat out, not only are you going to be scattered, but you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And when Peter heard the rooster crow after having denied Christ, Scripture tells us that Peter went outside and that he wept bitterly. Now, today, we're looking at this relationship that Jesus had with Peter. But as I mentioned last week, all of these accounts that we've been looking at throughout this series um, are designed to help us. Help us to grow in our walk with Christ. Help us to grow in our relationship, to avoid pitfalls that undermine our relationships with others and our relationships with God. So what lessons can we learn uh, from, from Peter that will help us today? After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples on a few different occasions. Okay? But Peter hadn't had the chance to talk things out with Jesus, okay? The last time uh, Peter had talked with Jesus was when Jesus was telling him, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me. So Peter denies Christ, and, and now Peter's feeling gutted by this. But he hasn't had the chance to talk with Jesus. He hasn't had a chance to, to make things right. And so what happens is Jesus singles Peter out and in John 21, 15 through 19, Jesus asks him a really heartfelt question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And, of course, Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know, you know I do. And, and Jesus responded by saying, feed my lambs. And then he looks at Peter again and asks the same question a second time. Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I do. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then he asked Peter the same question again. Peter, do you love me? Now, at, at this point, Peter's feeling hurt. Okay, what is, what is Jesus getting at here? Is he punishing me for denying him? And, and so Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, Peter. What is it that Jesus is trying to tell Peter here? He's trying to tell him that if you really love me, Peter, or any of us for that matter, if we really love Jesus, we need to do what we're called to do. We need to follow up 
with the things that God has placed in our lives for us to do. We need to be obedient. And most, more, more specifically, we need to feed his lambs. We need to take care of his church, take care of his people. Now, Jesus must have known at this point how vulnerable Peter must have been feeling at this point. And so he goes on to do something really beautiful. He, he, he gently restores him after this. Uh, remember, Jesus had previously changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter, which means the rock. And he had placed this calling on Peter to, to essentially, the church would be built upon Peter. Okay, and so now Peter's sort of in this place of, of, of limbo, wondering if he has what it takes to fulfill this high calling. So Jesus says to Peter, I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Now what is Jesus saying to Peter here? He's basically saying, listen, Peter, you're going to go on to fulfill the calling that I've placed on your life. You know, you are going to glorify God. So essentially, Jesus is saying, listen, things are good with us, Peter. I know your heart, and I know what you're going to accomplish. Peter would go on to die for the cause. Like many of the characters we've been discussing, Peter was an ordinary guy. An ordinary guy, just like, just like you and I. He had his weaknesses, he had his faults, he had his insecurities, he was impulsive and at times hypocritical, and yet Jesus knows that Peter is going to work through those things. By the power of his spirit, he's going to work through those things and we can do the same. God is desirous of helping us to work through the areas in our lives that keep us from putting Christ in the center. Now, as Christians, we know that the success of our calling hinges on whether or not we keep Christ in the center of our lives. It hinges on that. But in our fallen nature, it's not easy to do that. It's really not. Scripture tells us that whenever we move Christ out of the center and into the periphery, um, what that is called is idolatry. Because when we move Christ out... Uh, it rep- we replace that space, that void, with something else that becomes our anchor. Something else that, that becomes our lifeblood. And, and whatever it is that we put there is not capable of, of giving us the strength and the direction and the power that we need. If someone with the kind of love and passion that Peter exemplifies. And, it, and we all love Peter because of the kind of passion that he had. He may have been impulsive, but we know that this guy, when he, when he did something, he jumped in with both feet. And many of us can identify that. But if he, if someone like that could succumb to idolatry, it shows that all of us are vulnerable. All of us are vulnerable. And you might say, well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean exactly by idolatry? What is an idol? What is Peter specifically harboring? Well, that's a great question, and we're going to get back to that. 
But before we do, I wanted to look at some of the experiences that Peter had with Jesus that kind of built a foundation for his ministry. See, first, in Luke 5, 1 through 11, there's a story of Jesus using Peter's boat for preaching purposes. Now, in those days, they didn't have microphones or amplification or PA systems. And what they did know was that water carries uh, the sound, or sound carries across water. And so what Peter did is he allowed Jesus to use his boat. They pulled the boat out into the water a few yards, a few, and then Jesus could speak from there, and then the sound would carry across the water, and all the crowds that had assembled would be able to hear with no problem. Now, after Jesus is finished with his message, he tells Peter to go out to where the deeper water is and to throw out his net. Now, Peter is really reluctant to do this because he had already been out on this lake all night. As a fisherman, he'd been fishing all night long, and he had caught nothing. The fish weren't around. But because it was Jesus telling him to do this, he goes out, out of obedience, and he throws the net out. And what we find is that he caught so many fish that the net started to break. They had to call other boats out to to rescue them and bring in this haul of fish. And when Peter saw what had happened, he realized this this is nothing more than supernatural taking place. And he fell down at at the feet of Jesus, it says, and he said, Jesus, please depart from me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Okay, so Peter came face to face with his own uh, lack of faith. And, uh, and, and what did Jesus do in response to that? Did he say, you're right, Peter, you don't have what it takes? No, he actually calls Peter at that point to be one of his disciples. Okay, and I think this is very promising for all of us. You know, that, that God purposefully chose people that had brokenness, that struggled with things, that, that fell short of the mark because he knew he could develop them into the kind of person that would accomplish greater things than we could imagine. Now in verse 11, it says, As soon as they landed, they left everything they knew and they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. What a beginning. Uh, Jesus knew Peter's doubts. He knew his fears, and in the same way, he knows our sins. He knows our fears. He knows our doubts. And he wants, he wants us to leave the things that we're holding on to right now for our sense of security and, and the things that we think define us. He wants us to let those things go and to follow him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. It, when, I, when I think about this passage, it always, I always wonder, well, you know, what happened to Peter's boat, you know, and all the fishing gear and everything? I mean, he just left it. Now, in, in Matthew 14, there's another story where, where Peter takes center stage. This time, the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee after spending the day with Jesus. Jesus was ministering to people. There was crowds, and... Um, 
you know, it was becoming late in the day. Everybody's kind of tired, and the disciples are, are planning to cross the sea and go to the other side. And so Jesus tells them to go ahead and that um, he'll catch up with them later. So they're out on the sea, and a storm whips up. You know, they're kind of fighting this, this storm throughout the night. And then all of a sudden, they look out, and they see Jesus walking on the water. And, of course, they're terrified because what they think is that they're seeing is, is a ghost. And then Jesus calls out and says, Take courage. Don't be afraid. It's me. And then Peter calls to him and says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out on the water. Tell me to walk on the water. And Jesus says, All right, come on. And Peter gets out and he, and he walks on the water. Now, I would love to walk on water. You know, I, I have tested my faith in this area so many times as a kid. You know, I, when I was a young kid, I would say, Lord, I'm going to walk on water. You know, I believe off the end of the dock. All right, that didn't work. We're going to try this again. A little more faith. Maybe if I run really fast. <laughs> but here we see great faith in action. You know, they're in the midst of the storm. And, and yet Peter's willing to take a chance and, and trust in the Lord and, and to step out of this boat, the object of, of, their, of security in the story. Now, in our walk with Christ, um, we're going to be challenged many times to be bold in our faith. Um, whatever the boat of our security is, whatever we find ourselves hanging on to, uh, Jesus is wooing us to get out of that and to climb into the life that Christ has for us. And it takes tremendous courage to do that. Now, in John 6, we come across a passage where many of the followers of Christ are turning away because Jesus is starting to, to, to preach in a very uh, powerful and straightforward way. He's not pulling any punches. He's not sugarcoating anything. And because of that, a lot of people are kind of turned off by some of the things that he's saying. And they're, they're, they're saying, this is just too hard. And they're, they're walking away. And Jesus sees the crowds dwindling. He sees people leaving halfway through his messages, etc. And then when he sees this, he turns to the twelve disciples and he says... Are you going to leave as well? And again, Peter shines here. Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We believe them and we know you are the Holy One of God. This is Peter. And what a declaration from Peter. He knows there was no one like Christ. He knew that he, he had found the person that would give him the life that he so desperately wanted, the life that, that his soul was longing for. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Okay, so again, he's kind of feeling out where the, the disciples are in their, in their journey of faith. And the disciples give them a few answers. 
things that they've heard. And then Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And it's here that Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, which means the rock. The rock, which signifies a a solid foundation, something that you would want to build upon. Jesus has chosen Peter to build his church on, knowing that he would deny him three times, knowing all of the other shortcomings that, that Peter was accustomed to falling into, the idolatry that would emerge. But he also knew that Peter's heart was to keep Christ at the center. He knew his heart, and that was enough for God to work with. Now, God has placed a call on all of us. And we are an indispensable part of the body of Christ, each of us. And there are times when we will not be faithful to our calling. There will be times when we don't get it right. And the question is, you know, what do we do in those times? Those times when we fail. Those times when, you know, we don't feel like we have it all together. And we're not uh, experiencing the mountaintop experience. I was thinking about this, and it, it brought me back to uh, my first year of seminary at Alliance uh, Theological Seminary. And I, I had a professor by the name of Martin Sanders there. And Martin was this incredible guy. I mean, he was the, the professor on campus that everybody wanted to take this guy's classes because he was just incredibly insightful. He was witty. He was clearly filled with the Spirit, and, and we just couldn't get enough of this guy. He just exuded the power of God. Just to talk with him was like an experience in itself. And so his classes were always packed with people. And one day we were in class, and we're waiting for the, the, the class to begin, and there's no Martin, no professor. And we waited five minutes, and, and then we waited ten minutes, then 12 minutes. And then we started looking around and saying, do you think we should stay? I mean, you think he's coming? I'm not sure. And then he showed up. He walked through the door, and, and I still remember it. He was all disheveled. His hair was a mess. And, you know, he, he looked like he hadn't had any sleep for several days. And he slowly you know, walked up to the, the podium where he gave his lectures, and we were all... In, You could hear a pin drop because everyone wanted to know what was going on. And he went up to the podium and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Class, there have been days when I have been absolutely incredible. And by God's grace, there will be days when I am absolutely incredible again. But today is not one of those days. You know, and, you know, I remember thinking about, you know, the significance of that. And I realized right there that even, even in that moment, he was saying something incredible because he recognized that it wasn't about him. You know, that, 
that if he was to be incredible again, it would be by the grace of God. And that's true of all of us. There will be days when we blow it. There will be days when we lose sight of our calling and, and we move Christ out of the center of our lives. And if we are willing to allow Christ to come into the center of our lives, we will be restored like Peter was. If that's our heart. Now, part of the restoration process has to do with identifying the idols that come into our lives. So how do we address them? How do we know that they're there? Now, I wanted to, to, to give you a few concepts uh, from Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. And it's a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. And Ken has devoted his life to addressing these types of issues. Now, when Trinity's peacemaking team, and Heidi can attest to this, meets with those seeking resolution for their conflicts, they're required to read this particular book. And, and I'll refer back to it later. There are so many great stories about Peter. The day of Pentecost, his persecution by the church leaders, his being imprisoned, the raising of Tabitha from the dead. So many insights could we glean uh, from this incredible life. But what I'd like to focus on are two areas or two stories where Peter, Peter's idols are exposed. And then how he dealt with them. Okay? Now we find the story in Acts chapter 10 where Peter meets a man by the name of Cornelius, a Roman officer who feared God. He was a Roman Gentile centurion who loved the Lord. Now, I can't appreciate the significance of the cultural or religious or spiritual barriers that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles during that time. But what I do know is that they were profound. There was a, a real significant division between Jews and Gentiles. And if there was a barrier between you and I, uh, and it was made out of, let's say, Legos, okay, it would only take the swipe of a hand to remove those barriers. Just knock the Legos down, barrier removed. Now, if the barrier was made out of, uh, say, one-eighth-inch one plywood, it would take a little bit more than the swipe of a hand. It might take a, a hammer to remove it. But what if the barrier was concrete? There was a concrete wall separating myself and you. It would require something more, a sledgehammer, something of greater power. But how strong of a foothold did this particular idol have if it took the supernatural power of God to break it down? What kind of barrier is there between Jews and Gentiles that, we, that would require a supernatural action on the part of God? In, in Acts 10, Cornelius is visited by an angel from God who tells him to send men from Joppa to Joppa to, to bring back a man called Simon, called Peter. 
And so he sends two servants and a soldier to meet up with Peter. Okay? Then, the following day, Peter is given a vision by God. See, two separate supernatural occurrences. Peter is given a vision by God that would prepare him for meeting with these Gentiles that God had already empowered. Now, in the Jewish tradition, Gentiles were considered unclean. And so a Jew would never, ever have anything to do with a Gentile. A Jew would, would never certainly have a meal or spend time or hang out with a Gentile. But in this vision, God tells Peter not to call anything impure that God has made clean. Okay? So Peter wakes up from this dream, and as he's thinking about this, and trying to understand the significance of it. There's a knock at the door. And it's these two guys that God had called to come and fetch Peter. So Peter and Cornelius meet, and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes upon that place and falls upon them. And the barrier that had divided Jew and Gentile was broken. Now, the good news of the gospel is available to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, and so it completely changes the face of the church because of this encounter. Well, this is, this is a monumental shift, and it took a supernatural occurrence to make it happen. Now, soon after this incredible encounter, this, this barrier that is now removed... God enables Peter to see firsthand that God is invested in the Gentiles. It's Gentiles that are receiving the, the, the Holy Spirit. And this was just thought, the Jews automatically assumed that that, was, that would be an impossibility. And yet Peter is seeing it firsthand. And then in Galatians 2, 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him publicly. This is Paul talking about Peter. He's saying, I came to Antioch, I saw what Peter was doing, and I had to oppose him publicly, speaking strongly against what he was doing, for it was very wrong. What is, what is Paul talking about? When he first arrived, and again, Paul's talking about Peter here. When Peter first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who don't bother with circumcision. But afterward... When some Jewish friends came, friends of James, Peter would not eat with the Gentiles because he was afraid of what the legalists would say. Okay, so you have to imagine you're part of this new emerging church with both Jews and Gentiles. And the leader, or one of the leaders, Peter, is treating everyone equally loving on everybody, eating with one another. Everyone's in this together. But then some Jews show up, and then all of a sudden Peter turns his back on all the Gentiles and refuses to have anything to do with them in this public setting. How do you think they would feel? What would that do to the church? What sort of message does that send? Then Paul says, Then other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was influenced to join in the hypocrisy. Okay, so other leaders in the church were just following suit. 
And they were creating a, a, a two-tier system within the church. Now, God had made it very clear to Peter that he was opening the door for the Gentiles. So what was happening here? Peter was so concerned about what others would think of him. He allowed that idolatry to creep into the center of his life and remove uh, the vision that Christ had planted there. Now, idolatry will deceive, it will, it will destroy, and it will eventually lead to death, regardless of what it is. And thankfully, Paul loved Peter enough to rebuke him. And I'm sure, you know, it wasn't comfortable at the time. Now, it might have been that Peter was allowing this stuff to happen subconsciously. You know, we don't know. Or maybe he, he decided to rationalize his actions as, you know, we need to be sensitive to the Jews that are coming in. This is, a, this is quite a shift. Who knows? Maybe we're not aware of our idolatry. If someone were to ask you, are there some things in your life that you would consider idolatry, what would you say? Well, let's consider the progression of an idol just for a moment. How do we develop an idol? How does it take root in our lives? In James 4.1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? So if we consider the progression of an idol, it looks like this. It begins with desire. I desire something. Okay? Now, we all have desires, um, but we will at times have desires that oppose God's work in our lives and in the world, like hatred or jealousy or vengeance or lust. God wants to satisfy our desires if they're in alignment with his. He says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what David says in Psalm 37.4. But once we desire something enough, it may progress to something more than that. It may become a demand. And this is the progression that we see in idolatry. Unmet desires have a tendency of working deeper and deeper into our hearts. You have a desire... It's not being fulfilled, and now you're saying, I deserve this. I demand this. And when an unmet desire goes from I wish I could to I must have this, even if the initial desire was not inherently wrong, it can grow into something that controls our thoughts and behaviors. And at that point, it becomes an idol. Even ministry can be an idol. This control of our thoughts and behavior can be referred to as functional God. That's what gets you up in the morning. That's your driving force. That's your center. You can ask yourself what can be called x-ray questions that reveal the true nature or condition of your heart. What are the things that you fear? What do you trust? What do you avoid? These are all clues If only fill in the blank, whatever it is, fill in the blank, 
then I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. I would have the security that I'm looking for. What am I preoccupied with? What are your knee-jerk responses to those questions, if you were to ask them of yourselves? How do you know the motivation of your heart? Does our behavior line up with the definition of love that we see in Scripture? In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of wrong. It's never glad about injustices, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. Does our attitude reflect the fruit of the Spirit? Essentially is what we're asking. If we let a good desire become a consuming demand, then we are serving the idol and not the Lord. The next in the progression becomes judgment. After we demand, we become judgmental. We begin to sinfully judge others, which can be characterized by feelings of superiority, indignation, condemnation, bitterness, or rejection. Sinful juggling also involves speculation on the motives of others. We expect people to give allegiance to our idol. Where in our lives do we have relationships that, that allow these sorts of things to, to slip in in our thoughts and in our feelings? After judgment comes punishment. Idols always demand sacrifices. We lash out with our tongue, we ignore or we discount the other person, we attack or we withdraw, we place blame and shame, and there is always condemnation. How do we punish others? Remember, punishment is for revenge, and inflicting pain on others is one of the surest signs that an idol is residing in our hearts. If you feel the need to inflict pain on another person because of something that has not been fulfilled in your life, that's a, that's a, a sign that there is an idol driving you. When we become aware that idolatry is in our lives and the impact of our behavior and attitudes that it's having on others, the first thing we need to do is repent and confess those things to the Lord. Now, it's not easy to do this, and it's always a process. You know, when something is rooted in our lives, it doesn't just go away. You know, sometimes we have to to keep bringing these same things back over and over again, continually give them back to God. But Scripture reminds us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Peter learned that there was an endless supply of God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And he experienced it on a personal level, 
And then later in his life, uh, he was a champion for the church, both Jew and Gentile. He fulfilled the calling that God had placed on his life with power. We know that Jesus chose Peter for a purpose, to be his rock, to build the church upon. And he's chosen you for a purpose. I'm not sure what the purpose is, but God may be giving you glimpses and visions of what that might be. And for you to fulfill the thing that God has placed on your heart, you must remove any idols that are taking the place of Christ in the center of your soul. You have a great role to play in the history of God's story, in the history of the church. God did not create any of us just because. All of us are created with a purpose to accomplish something incredibly powerful, far beyond what we give ourselves credit for. And this story is going to unfold as we do the hard work of identifying those areas in our life where Christ has been pushed from the center to the periphery. Only God knows the incredible impact that we will have when Christ is firmly rooted in the center. And there's one thing for sure. Regardless of of where you think you are right now or, or how many times you've fallen short, or how far away you feel you might be from God at this point. If your heart is to get back where you want to be, where you know you should be, one thing for sure is this. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. And he'll help you get back to where you need to be. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for Peter's story. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that Peter was not perfect because it gives me a sense of hope that in my brokenness and in those seasons where there's clearly an idol driving me as opposed to, to you, There's opportunity to make things right. You've surrounded me with people that help me to identify the lies that I believe about myself and others. You've, uh, at times, challenged people to come alongside and, and rebuke me for certain things that were not of you. And no one likes that in the moment, but I'm grateful for those people. Lord, I pray that you would surround all of us with people that love us enough to speak truth into our lives with love. Lord, we don't know what you have for us. The calling that you've envisioned for each of us here in this room today. But don't let us miss it. I heard someone say one time that you can never lose your salvation you're a believer, but you could miss your calling. I don't want any of us to miss our calling. 
Lord, replace whatever's in the center of our lives, if it's anything other than you, with you. 